All right, now let's do this. Let's read. We'll read the one verse, uh, uh, Acts 22, verse 30. And uh, we'll read it and then pray. And then we'll do a brief review of where we're at and how we got to chapter 23 and start right there. Okay, so let's start. It says, On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your blessings and your mercy. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house tonight and uh, having the opportunity to take some time to, to study uh, chapter 23 in the life of Paul. And I pray, God, that you will give me the, the ability, give me the strength, and uh, uh, give me the energy. Lord, I've been running low lately. Uh, I pray that you'll just strengthen me and uh, help me, give me uh, the words to say. Use my mouth as a mouthpiece. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't, and don't let me forget anything I should. And God will thank you for it and give you the glory and the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Little little brief review, and, uh, and then we'll jump right into chapter 23. Chapter 23 is Paul's interrogation uh, uh, with the Sanhedrin court. He is sitting before them. And uh, uh, up until this point, we, we need to know what's happened. How, how did we get here to this place? If you will remember the last couple of weeks, we have uh, seen that Paul has made it back to Jerusalem after he has finished his last missionary journey. And he has made it back to Jerusalem. And uh, he was accosted there in the temple. They drug him out of the temple. The Jewish people drug him out of the temple and was beating him to death. And uh, the Roman soldiers came down uh, from the Antonia Fortress, saw what was going on, and they came down from the Antonia Fortress and rescued Paul uh, to try to figure out what was going on. They took him and was going up the steps, and then Paul turned around and he addressed the people and gave his testimony, which was an incredible thing, uh, gave his testimony, told his story, uh, uh, and was able to share the gospel with these people. And it about caused another riot, and so they uh, went ahead and took him on into the uh, uh, Antonia Fortress and was going to interrogate him there from the Roman side. Well, they thought they thought that he was uh, an Egyptian man who had caused an uprising uh, there before in Jerusalem, and so that was a big mistake. So they decided they were going to scourge him. They were going to do to him what they did to Jesus with the, the cat of nine tails and, and beat him uh, to find out the truth. Well, Paul said, hey, is it legal for you to do that to a Roman? Well, they didn't realize he, he had Roman citizenship, and so they stopped everything. Uh, they took the bonds off of him, and now now the, 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 the main uh, uh, Roman soldier has to figure out what's going on. What is the deal? Why do they have a problem with him? What has caused this uproar? Uh, he was in charge of Jerusalem at the time, so he was the one that was responsible for keeping the peace. And so what he does now is he says, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll get the Sanhedrin, which is basically the, the Jewish religious supreme court, if you will. Uh, get the elders, get everybody together, and, and let's have a meeting, and, and we'll bring Paul down, and we'll see what in the world's going on what is the cause of all this problem? It seems it's, it's something to do with the Jewish law. So let's let Paul be interrogated by them. So that brings us to verse number one. All right. So if you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, if you've gotten the notes off the, 
uh, off the uh, website. Here's what I want to do. I want to start with point number one. Let's look at the interrogation. Let's look at the interrogation in verse number one. Let's start. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council. In other words, he was staring them down. He was looking at him, staring them down. And it says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded him that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they stood by, they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. All right? Now, here's what I want to do. Let's let's look at verses 1 through 10, and we'll find some sub-points for our point there about the interrogation. What do we need to see about the interrogation? First off, I want you to see first, we see Paul's conscience. Paul's conscience, verse number 1. Paul says, men and brethren... He says, I stand before you today with a clear conscience. I stand before you here today uh, knowing and believing. Paul's not saying he was perfect, and Paul didn't say, I did everything right. I, I, was, I was completely perfect in all of my ways. What he's saying is, I have a clear conscience. I have a clear conscience with God. I believe truly that I've done everything that God has wanted me to do. And, and now, by saying this, he is going to put them on the defensive because if he is right with God in what he is doing, then they are wrong with God for what they are doing. So it gets a little shady now. So we see Paul's conscience. Then B, look at this, write this down. We see Paul's confrontation. Excuse me, Paul's confrontation. Ananias the high priest. Ananias the high priest commands one of them close to him and says, hit him on the mouth. And it's more than a slap. It's a, it's a brutal beating. It's, a, it's, it's what took place with Paul in the very beginning down there in the temple. It was a, it was a major issue. So, so the man hits Paul in the mouth. And, and, and Paul, says, Paul says, God smite you, you whited wall. Now, now let's talk about this a minute. <clears throat> Ananias, Ananias uh, was very cruel and very wicked. He was one of the most wicked high priests that Israel ever had. Uh, he was in link with the Romans. He, the, the people hated him. The common people hated him because of his link with the Romans. And, 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 you know, make a long story short, the guy was terrible. He was a horrible man. This action that he took, this action right here that he took was one, it was against the law of God. Two, it just revealed his cruelty and what he was all about. And at the beginning of the Jewish revolt, 
at the, at the beginning of the Jewish revolt, the common people hate him so bad, they murdered him when they went to overthrow the Roman, the Roman government. So that just kind of tells you what kind of person Ananias was. Well, when he did that, when he did that, Paul was angry, justly so. He says, well, you know, you're, you're, you're standing here, you're standing here to judge me according to the law, and you're breaking the law by what you're doing. How, how do you think that you're going to judge me when you're here breaking the law and standing with me here? Okay. Now this is where it's going to get, this is where you're going to see really the character of the apostle Paul. When that took place, when that took place, now I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I'd have said it too. I'd have said it loudly. I'd have, I'd have defended myself. And, and, and here we go. And one of the crowd, one of the crowd says, revilest thou the high priest? In other words, do you realize who you're talking to? And now we see C. Now we see C. We see Paul's concession. Paul's concession. He conceded. He said, whoa, whoa. He said, you know what? I, I didn't recognize. I didn't recognize who he was. I didn't recognize who he was. And then Paul quotes a verse. He says, look what it says. Look what it says. He said in verse number five, then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, he said, I didn't recognize who he was, that he was the high priest, for it is written. Y'all see what he's doing? For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Oh, my soul. This is an amazing thing. <clears throat> now, stay with me. Even, even though, and he called him a whited wall. He called him a whited wall, which is a reference, many believe, uh, to Ezekiel, where Ezekiel was denouncing uh, the false prophets there in Israel. And, and, and so he's basically, he knows that, that this is a false prophet. He knows how wicked he is. He knows uh, uh, that the deeds that they are doing is wicked. He knows what he said is against the law of God. And, and yet, and yet, he submits to the word of God. Now, what do we see out of that? <clears throat> in anger, in anger, he responded to the breaking of the law. Y'all with me? In anger, he responded to the breaking of the law. But then, but then his love for the law was greater than his hatred or disdain or dislike for the one who broke the law. In, in other words, in other words, he cared so much about the law. He cared so much about the word of God. Following God's word and being right with God was way more important to Paul than Paul being done wrong. Man, we can learn a lot from that. We are so, we are so much creatures of, of vanity. We are so much creatures of revenge. We are so much creatures of getting, getting back at whoever's wounded us or whoever's hurt us. And, 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 but Paul was not that way. Paul loved the law. He loved the word of God. And when he realized, when he realized who he had responded to, when he realized who it was that had said what they said and did what they did, he backed up and he conceded and he submitted to the law, to God's word, because his love for God's word was bigger than his feeling of having to be justified 
or right in the actions that were taken against him. That is the kind of character the Apostle Paul had. So we see Paul's concession. Not only do we see his conscience, we see his confrontation. We see his concession. But then look at verse 6 through 10. And write this down. We see Paul's connection. We see Paul's connection. But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. Now, what do we have here? We have the the Jewish Supreme Court. We have the Jewish Supreme Court. Uh, We have uh, the Jewish, the main body of Jewish religious leaders and elders. And they were split. They had Pharisees and they had Sadducees. They had two different religious groups in the same body of people. And they had two different theological persuasions, if you will. One believed that there was no life after death. They didn't even believe in angels or spirits. That's the Sadducees. You see, they didn't believe in in life after death. They didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Catch that? Okay, all right. You know, it's hard having to throw a joke out there with, you know, anyway. All right. Here's the deal. Sadducees, no resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife. Pharisees, Pharisees, they did believe in the resurrection. They did believe in in spirits. They did believe in angels. And so Paul is slick. He is, he is, he is, one, he realizes, he realizes he's not going to get a fair trial. He realizes when the, when the high priest is breaking the law to interrogate him and to do what he did, he knows I'm not going to get a fair trial here. They're not going to judge me or according to, to my reputation or, or to my, my, uh, uh, record and to what the law truly says. So I'm not going to get a fair trial. So he, he sees, what am I going to do about this? So he looks in this big crack. Now keep in mind too, kind of getting ahead of myself, but keep in mind too, that Paul most likely used to be a part of the Sanhedrin. Paul most likely, he, 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 he probably went to school with many of those in the Sanhedrin, many of those in the high court. Uh, they most likely Gamaliel, which was his mentor and his teacher, was the same teacher of some of the men in there. So he would have known many of them in there. He had a connection with them. And when he sees the Pharisees and he knows the theological difference, he knows the disagreements and what their belief is, he uses that for his benefit. And he says, hey, hey, listen, boys, all you Pharisees in here, I'm a Pharisee. I'm one of you. I'm one of you. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I'm here today. The reason I'm here today is because they don't believe in the resurrection like we believe. See what he's doing? He's, he's, he's playing politician now. He's saying, look, look, we're the same. We're the same. And guess what? It works. It works. They begin to say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and so they begin to stand up for Paul. They begin to stand up for Paul and say, hey, we don't find no problem with this man. We don't see no evil in this man. Now, here's, here's one thing to remember. <clears throat> I didn't really realize this until I was really digging into this for tonight. Uh, but you don't, you don't ever see, you don't ever read where Sadducees became believers. But you do see Pharisees that become believers. Pharisees were closer to the Christian faith than the Sadducees were. 
Pharisees believed in the afterlife. They believed in the resurrection. And so they were closer connected to Paul and who he truly was. And so Paul was saying in his defense, in his uh, response to this mock trial, he said, look, I'm one of you guys. And it causes a dissension. It causes a major fight in between the Pharisees and the Sadducees to the point, to the point that the, the, the main captain, the Roman captain said, listen, this is, this is not getting anywhere. We're not accomplishing anything here. Matter of fact, he was so scared. He was afraid that they were going to tear Paul apart. It had gotten that bad. In other words, here we're about at another riot again. And so he goes in and excuse me, he goes in and rescues him again. So that brings us to verse number 10. All right. Now let's look at, look, before we go to 11, before we go to 11, let's, let's think about this. All right. Paul, Paul was a very wealthy man. He was a very popular man. Uh, he was very, he was very famous. He was way up. He said he had, he had advanced further in their religion than anybody else. Paul had a lot to lose and he lost it when he became a Christian. He lost, he, he lost wealth. He lost power. He lost popularity. He was probably disinherited from his own family. And he lost all that and he began to preach Christ. He began to go everywhere preaching Jesus, preaching Christ, sharing the gospel. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped. Uh, he had stripes upon stripes upon stripes upon stripes put upon his back. He was lied about. He was ridiculed. He was, he was stoned. They took him out and threw stones at him trying to kill him and left him for dead thinking he was dead. Uh, he has, he has gone through so much. He has, he has lost so much for the cause of Christ. And the people he loved the most, which were the Jewish people, his brethren, he said, he said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, not only that, he even went further. He, he made the statement that if it was possible to save all of Israel by losing his salvation, he was willing to lose his salvation and go to hell if he could save all of his brethren. That's how much he loved these people. That's how much he cared about Jerusalem. That's how much he cared about the Jewish people. That's how much he cared about his brethren. And every time he gets around them, they're hunting him down. And they're lying about him. And they're, they're causing problems everywhere they go. The Judaizers chased him all over the Mediterranean. And now he's finally back in Jerusalem. He loves his Jewish heritage. He loves God's law. He loves God's people. He loves the Jews. And yet they're ready to tear him apart. To tear him up, literally, physically the Roman soldiers were afraid they were going to pull him apart. And so here he is. Here he is. Now keep all that in mind. Here he is sitting in the Antonia Fortress. And he has, he has no land. He has no people. He has no country. The people he loves wants to destroy him. And he's probably thinking, what's the use? 
I mean, let's, let's, let's keep in mind that Paul was human. Paul was human. Paul had weaknesses like we do. Paul got afraid like we do. Uh, Paul had fears like we have. And I can imagine he was pretty discouraged. And you say, how do you know he was discouraged? Because Jesus had to show up and say, be of good cheer. Now, why would Jesus say, be of good cheer, unless he was not of good cheer? Amen? So this brings us to verse number 11. Paul's down. Paul's discouraged. Paul knows he's not going to get a fair trial with the Sanhedrin. He knows that, that, that his life is in great danger. But watch what happens. Watch what happens. Verse 11. This is great. This is really a message all by itself. Verse 11. And the night following. And the night following. Finish that sentence to the comma with me. The Lord stood by him. Let me say that again. The Lord stood by him. Everybody say it. If you're watching at home, if you're watching at home, listen, say it. The Lord stood by him. That brings us to point number two. Not only do we see the interrogation in verses 1 through 10, then we see the inspiration in verse number 11. The inspiration in verse number 11. How did God inspire the Apostle Paul? How did God lift him up? Two things. By A, by his presence. By his presence. We see over and over again. We see over and over again in some of the darkest places that Paul finds himself, God shows up over and over and over again. That when he is down, when he is discouraged, God has a way of showing up and encouraging him and inspiring him. Uh, one of the coolest songs, one of the coolest songs I remember hearing being sung when I was a kid growing up in church was somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. Somewhere in the shadows, somewhere in the scary places, somewhere in the dark places, you'll find Jesus. It's not really on the mountaintops that you see him all the time. And that's because that's not where you need him. It's not always in the fun times and the happy times. It's not always in the exciting times. It's not always when the building is packed that you find Jesus. It's those times in the darkness. It's those times in the difficult places. It's those times that bring tears to your eyes. It's those times when you don't think you can make it. It's those times when you're ready to give up and you're ready to throw in the towel. That's when Jesus will show up. It's the times when you're doubting. It's the times when you're afraid. It's the times when you're discouraged. It's the times when you need him the most. He will always show up. And the Bible says the Lord stood by him. And I am so glad that God is no respecter of person. I'm so glad, listen, that he stood by Paul. He stood by John. He stood by Stephen. He stood by Peter. And thank God he'll stand by me when I get down, when I get discouraged, when I feel like I can't go on, when I want to quit, when I want to throw in the towel, when I don't know why or have any purpose in life, he will stand by me. Somebody say amen. He'll stand by you. He encouraged him and said, be of good cheer. Why? By standing by him. Amen. Amen. You know what? It's, it's, it's just great to know somebody's standing with you. The Bible says the Lord stood by him and said, <clears throat> and said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Paul, 
You know, we can stop right there and talk about this. Be of good cheer. What? Paul. God is so personal and so individualistic. He doesn't know y'all. He knows you. He's not, he's, he's not a God of the crowd. He's the God of the individual. The Bible says he knows us so well that he knows every thought in our head and every hair on our head. He's a personal God. We hear, we hear this and we think, you know, there's a lot of people that's real busy. There's a lot of people that got a lot going on. And there's a lot of people, listen, that, 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 that just, it's just crazy. But not him. He knows you. He loves you. He cares about you. I, I was in Bondo Church last night. <clears throat> I was in Bondo Church last night. And one of the men, one of the, one of the baby Christians in there, uh, uh, he, he got to talking about his problems and, 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 and he said, man, I just didn't want to put all this on the Lord. And I said, are you crazy? That's what you need to do. That's what you're supposed to do. The Bible says casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. He careth for you. Man, he cared about Paul. He cared about his heart. He cared about his discouragement. He cared about his feelings. He cared enough to stand by him and tell him, hey, everything's going to be all right. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Now, what else? What else? How did he inspire the Apostle Paul? By his presence, A, and then B, by his promise. By his promise. He said, Paul, just like you just like you uh, witnessed me or witness of me in Jerusalem, you're going to be a witness of me in Rome also. And by the way, that was an answer to prayer because that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to be able to share the gospel in Rome. And God says, you're going to get your request. You're going to have your prayer answered. Don't sweat it. Don't worry about what these people are doing. I promise you, you're going to preach. You're going to witness. You're going to see, you're going to see Rome. Now, that's a promise. That's a promise. God will encourage us with his word. God will encourage us with his word. Man, there's no telling. There's no telling what this did for the Apostle Paul. There's no telling how this uplifted him and, and encouraged him in his discouraged state. But he gave his presence and he gave him his promise. Now, what we're fixing to read, what we're fixing to read is God fulfilling that promise. And this is, this is cool. I mean, it, usually, usually when you see the first part of something, you don't get the whole picture and you don't get the whole story. For instance, when you're reading, when you're reading uh, the book of Ruth, if you was to stop reading the book of Ruth in the first chapter, you would think this is the most depressing thing I've ever read in my life. This is the most awful thing I've ever read in my life. This way, if you was to read and, or excuse me, stop reading in the first couple, two or three chapters of Job, you would think, dear God, I don't want to read no more of this. This is the most depressing thing I've ever heard in my life. But don't stop reading. Same thing. In the beginning of this chapter, it's not going well. But in the middle, God says, everything's going to be all right. And then, and then, uh, you know, the old saying, talk is cheap. Well, God's going to show you. He promises Paul in verse number 11, but then he shows Paul, he shows Paul that he's able to do what he said he's able to do. All right, now, let's look at the next verse. 
What do we got? Let's review. Let's review. Number one, we see the interrogation. The interrogation. It did not go well. It did not go well. Number two, the inspiration. Paul is down. Paul is discouraged. And God stood by him that night and said, everything's going to be okay. Be of good cheer. You're going to preach in Rome. Number three, the intervening. The intervening. This is verses 12 through 35. All right, now let's watch what happens. And when it was day, when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore, now therefore, ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring them down, or bring him down unto you tomorrow, as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him, and we, or ever he come near, or excuse me, yeah, and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. Think about how far away from God this religious group of elders who are supposed to be the closest God and represent God to the people, this religious police who are supposed to guard the law of God and protect the law of God and make sure people are following the law of God, they're in cahoots now to murder an innocent man. Murder an innocent man. What are you, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying religion kills. Just being religious is not enough. There's a lot of religious people who are still wicked and evil and do evil things. But watch what happens. Watch what happens. So uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me finish this. Hey, hey, if you're taking notes, write this down. And under the intervening, I want you to see first, I want you to see the conspiracy against Paul. All right, that's A. The conspiracy against Paul. You have 40 people who made a vow, made an oath, if you will. And, and, you know, basically what they said, basically what they said is God do to us what we plan to do to Paul if we eat or drink anything before we kill him. In other words, we're all in this thing together. We're all going to do this so they can't stop us. We know how many soldiers they can bring. So we're in this thing together. And, and they made a conspiracy. They made a conspiracy with the Sanhedrin. They made a conspiracy with the elders, most likely most likely with the Sadducees side of the Sanhedrin. And they said, okay, just go say you want to interrogate, you want to talk to him some more, and when they bring him down, we're going to kill him. We will eliminate him. But by the grace of God, by the grace and protecting hand of God, God allows somebody to find out, and that somebody was related to the Apostle Paul. Now, look at this. So we see, we see this conspiracy Number one, this is under the sub. It was planned. That's verses 12 through 15. They planned to kill him. But then verses 16 through 22, verses 16 through 22, we see it was prevented. All right, so write that down. We see the conspiracy against Paul was planned. Then we see the conspiracy was prevented. It was prevented. Look in verse 16. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, 
he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Now, this is one of the first mentions of, of Paul's family. Uh, there's not a whole lot said about Paul's family in Scripture. Uh, most likely, he was disinherited. Uh, we really don't know why Paul's nephew was here. Uh, possibly he was he was uh, being trained as a rabbi, being in Jerusalem, because you know Paul's hometown was Tarsus. So, so he there's there's a great there's a great possibility that he's there to be trained, just like Paul was, and and grow up in Jerusalem, just like Paul did. So we see he finds out about this. He hears about he hears about this conspiracy. He hears about this murderous plot. And so he goes to the Antonia Fortress and he tells the Apostle Paul. The Bible says in, in verse number uh, 17, Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me to bring this young man unto thee, who has something to say unto thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it that thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though he would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto them, for there, there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed me these things, or these things to me. So we see the conspiracy was planned in verses number 12 through 15. Then verses 16 through 22, it was prevented. God intervened and prevented this murder from taking place. Now, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Uh, uh, I want to. I want to show you. I want to show you in the last part of these verses uh, uh, how good, how good God can be in bad times. How good God can be in bad times. All right. God did not just stop. He did not just stop the plot. All right, he revealed this to the chief captain. And so the chief captain made sure we're not going to do what they're wanting to do. We're not going to risk Paul's life. Matter of fact, he went a step above and said, we're going to do everything we can to save Paul's life. And so that's what I want you to see. So we see not only the conspiracy against Paul. Now, now remember, remember what I said. Remember what I said. Go back a minute. Point number two was the inspiration. Point number two was God came to Paul. The Lord showed up to Paul and stood by him and said, Be of good cheer. Everything's going to be all right. Be of, now, now, Paul knows his life is being threatened. Paul knows that, 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 listen, things are bad for him right now. So Jesus shows up and said, Be of good cheer. Everything's going to be all right. Now what we're reading is God proving that he can do what he said he was going to do. He said he gave him a promise in verse number 11 and now God is fixing to show out. I'm telling you, when you see this, when you see this, you're going to think, man, that's great. Hey, it goes back to the same thing that we said when this pandemic started. 
Listen, God has the ability to prosper His people in the midst of a pandemic. In the midst of all the plagues going on in Egypt, God was blessing His people and prospering His people. Listen, this pandemic doesn't have any control on the ability of what God can do. Listen, no matter what, no matter how bad the situation, no matter how dark the hour, God can intervene and do what only He can do. Now watch what that is. Watch what that is. Look what happens. This is great. This is great. Four things. Four things I want you to see. <clears throat> that is provided, that is provided for the care of Paul. Okay? We talked about the conspiracy against Paul. That's the devil. But then we see the care of Paul. This is what God provides for Paul in the midst of his darkest hour. In the midst of the conspiracy. This is what God does for Paul. Watch this. Watch this. The care. How, how good, how good does God take care of his man? How good does God fulfill the promise that he gave to the apostle Paul in verse number 11? Watch this. Verse 23. Verse 23. If you're taking notes, write this down. I want you to see the fortification provided. The fortification provided. Look what it says. And he called unto him two centurions. This is the chief captain. He calls two of his main men and said this. Make ready 200 soldiers. These are foot soldiers. Y'all with me? Foot soldiers. Marching men. Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea. Caesarea is the headquarters, the Roman headquarters of Judea in that area. It's on the coast. Beautiful place. Been there a couple times. And uh, hope to go again. Uh, and, 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 and there is where Herod's palace was, right on the sea. He had a huge palace that went out, jutted out into the ocean and had an indoor uh, uh, fresh water. They called it sweet water over there, but fresh water swimming pool in that this is where Felix was at. And this is where they were going to take the Apostle Paul. Watch this now. Watch this. And he called and said, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea. And horsemen, three score and ten. That's 70. Score, 20, times three, 60, plus 10, 70. So he has 200 soldiers. He has 200 soldiers. He has 70 horsemen to escort him. And spearmen, 200, at the third hour of the night. That's nine o'clock at night. So what happens? What happens? We find the Apostle Paul. Now stay with me, guys. Stay with me. We find the Apostle Paul, who is a lowly, a lowly missionary. Uh, listen, a lowly hated missionary who had really nothing, no riches, no fame, no power, no honor. Yet, yet he's being escorted like he's a king. Are y'all getting this? He's being escorted like he's a king. He has 200 foot soldiers. He has, listen, he has these horsemen and then he has the spearmen go along. He is right. He is being, he's got a military escort to make sure he gets to Caesarea. Don't tell me God can't take care of you. Don't, he, he makes the devil's crowd pay for his military escort. Do you see this? This is God providing, listen, support. God providing protection for his man. Protection for his. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you this. 
The devil's gunpowder cannot burn till God's through with you. You are bulletproof till God's through with you. Listen, we see the fortification is provided for the apostle Paul. But not only that, write this down. Look at the next one. Look at the next verse. This is great. Verse 24, watch this. And provide them beasts. In other words, horses. Provide them beasts that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. He not only, see the fortification that's provided, we see the transportation that's provided. Paul ain't even got to walk. Y'all get this? 67 miles from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And, and ordinarily, because of Paul's, he didn't have the money, he didn't have the resources, he would have to walk everywhere he went. And God said, not only am I going to give you a military escort that's, that's of the of the size that a king would have, I'm going to give you your own transportation. You're not even going to have to walk all the way. Somebody say amen. That's God. That's God. He provided. By the way, too, do you realize, do you realize the chief captain sent half of his force to escort Paul to Caesarea? Wow. The fortification provided. The transportation provided. Then look at the next thing. We see the authorization provided. He gave him a letter. He gave him a letter. He said, take this to Felix. Now, you know, by reading this letter, that obviously the chief captain was a politician. Because in the letter, he made himself look real good and didn't tell whole truths in the matter. And I'll show you what I mean. Verse 25. We see the authorization in verse 25 through 30. It says, And he wrote a letter after this manner. Claudius Lysias, under the most excellent governor Felix, sent his greeting. This man was taken of the Jews, and should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him. Having understood that he was a Roman. Well, number one, that's not true. He didn't know he was a Roman till he was fixing to interrogate him and, and scourge him. That's when he found out he was a Roman. So, you know, that's, that's, it makes him look a lot better than he was. In this letter, he said, oh, I, I seen that he was a Roman, so I rescued him. Politician, politician, fake news, hey man, fake news, fake news. It says, and when, when I would have known the cause, wherefore, they accused him, I brought him forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. Now, now right there, he's automatically admitting Paul's innocence. Paul should have been released right there. That should have been the end of the deal. He was admitting to Paul's innocence. Now, verse 30. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee, or excuse me, I sent commandments to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him. Farewell. In other words, what do good politicians do? They pass the buck. They pass it. They say, okay, here, I'm, I'm bringing this to you. Uh, you're a higher authority than me. And so they, they sent him to Felix. Now, here's the final deal. We're going to close right here. Watch this. Watch this. 
What did we say? The fortification provided all those soldiers, military escort. He traveled like a king. Then the, the transportation provided. He didn't even have to walk. He gave him, uh, he gave him a ride. Then the authorization provided, verses 25 through 30, the letter to Felix. Then we see verses 31 through 35. I want you to see the accommodations, the accommodations provided. Watch this. It says in verse number 31, Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle. In other words, the foot soldiers came back to the castle. Uh, Antipatris was about a little over 40 miles uh, toward Caesarea. When they were completely in Gentile territory, it was safe for Paul, so the, the foot soldiers came back to Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 32, On the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle, who when they came to Caesarea, remember Caesarea was the headquarters, it was the capital, if you will, of that area, the Roman, the central command, and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was from of Cilicia, he said, I will hear thee, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. What was that? It was Herod's praetorium or Herod's palace. So it was basically Felix's own personal dwelling place. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. God said, Paul... Everything's going to be all right. Paul, be of good cheer. Then he provided him a military escort that was worthy of a king. Then he provided him transportation. He got to ride on a horse instead of having to walk the whole way. He gave him an authorized letter to Felix to protect him all the way there. And then he's, he's sitting in the palace of a king. I've been there. It would be what we would call a souped up beach house. It's amazing. It's right there on the ocean. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying this. Even when the devil means evil against you, God can bring and prosper and bless in the midst of dark times. Ladies and gentlemen, be of good cheer. God can. God can. When God has a purpose for your life, when God has direction for you, when God, when you're, when you're trying your best to serve him and obey him and live for him, I promise you this, God's going to take care of you. I'm not saying you won't go through trials. I'm not saying you won't go through storms because Paul went through all of them. But I'm going to tell you this, God will show up right on time, every time. God will show up when you need cheering up. God will show up when you need encouragement. God will stand by you. And he's not just going to talk as cheap. God didn't just do the talking. He showed the walking. He provided everything that Paul needed to keep him safe. And he traveled and slept like a king. That's the God we serve. What am I saying? What do we need to take from this? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. God's going to stand by us. Man, I hope you, I hope whatever you're going through right now, I hope whatever you're going through right now, you understand that you've got a God that loves you that you've got a God that wants you to cast all your care upon him, cast your burdens upon him, cast your fears upon him, cast your weaknesses upon him, cast your doubts upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. And I, I looked up those two words. I, I looked up those two words one time, care and careth, in that verse. Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth 
for you. And it's two different words. The same word in English that we have, but it's really two different Greek words. The word cares means distractions, means disturbances. It means things that upset you, things that break you down, if you will. He says, cast them on me. And, and by the way, casting has the connotation of letting go. It means to throw off and let go. Let go. You haven't cast it till you let it go. He says, those things that bother you, those things that disturb you, those things that, 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 that discourage you, he says, cast upon me. Why? For he careth. The second word careth means it matters. It matters to him. Why does he want your burdens? Why does he want your problems? Why does he want your fears? Why does he want your weaknesses? Why does he want to carry these things for you? Because you matter to him. Your, your feelings matter to him. Your, your burdens matter to him. He cares if you're sad. He cares if you're happy. He cares if you're lonely. He cares, listen, if you're going through it. He cares about the burdens you carry. In Bondo Church last night, we was on the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we learned, we learned about Jesus weeping. We learned about Jesus weeping. Why did he weep? Did he weep because of Lazarus? No. He was fixing to go in there and bring him back from the dead. He wasn't weeping over Lazarus. He knew what he was going to do in that situation. He was weeping to show those people, I feel what you feel. I'm weeping with you. I am, I am feeling your burden. I am feeling your issues. I, I feel what you feel. We have a high priest in heaven who is touched with a feeling of our infirmities. And he said, cast them on me. And Paul, in that moment, in that, that time of discouragement and darkness, Jesus stood by him and said, it's going to be okay. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. So I'm telling you tonight, be of good cheer. Cast your burdens upon him. Cast your problems, cast your weaknesses, cast your fears. Give them to him. Why? He's bigger than you are. He can handle it better than you can. Trust him and he'll bring you through.